Welcome to Ohio Matters, the Cleveland.com politics podcast. I'm Seth Richardson. And I'm Andrew Tobias. Mary Kilpatrick is out this week, but as always, thanks for tuning in. Special thanks goes out to the Cleveland Public Library for helping us with this podcast. Brian's over there on the board. He's uh, always a tremendous help for us. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting service. We're on Google Play, TuneIn, iTunes. And when you do that, rate and review us. It helps other people find this podcast, and we always want more listeners. And if you have any feedback, go ahead and send it to my email. That's srichardson at cleveland.com. Again, that is srichardson at cleveland.com. This week on Ohio Matters, joining us via Skype is our old friend, Kyle Kondik. Kyle, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And what we wanted to do with Kyle today was talk about the upcoming election in the 12th Congressional District. It's, uh, it's, it's, it seems like it's getting pretty exciting down there. So, uh, Kyle, we'll just go ahead and start off with uh, what are you kind of seeing down there? Uh, yeah, I think that this race has sort of turned into a toss-up here. Uh, I was sort of hesitant to think of it that way. I, I kind of thought that Troy Balderson, the state senator's Republican candidate, had an edge given the historic Republican leanings of this district. Uh, Donald Trump won the district by about 11 percentage points, which I actually think kind of understates the um, historic Republican lean uh, of this district. Uh, this district contains some of the most bedrock Republican territory in the whole state, uh, specifically uh, Delaware County, which is the most affluent, most educated, fastest growing county in the whole state, um, is also, you know, historically one of the most Republican counties in the state, if not the most re Republican county. Uh, it hasn't voted Democratic for president in 100 years. Uh, and there, it, the, the district sort of extends down from Delaware County into kind of the northern uh, Columbus uh, suburbs. It has a little piece of the city um, and uh, also has uh, some uh, more conservative parts of the, uh, you know, parts of central Ohio. Uh, and, you know, if you just knew that Trump won the district by 11 points and that it was an open seat, um, the special election results this year in other in other districts across the country, both at the U.S. House level uh, and also more frequently at the there, there are many more uh, state legislative races. Um, the, the the swing from the 2016 presidential elections uh, in these special elections has been pretty stark. In fact, it's been around 10 or 11 points, which would, uh, if applied to this district, would sort of make up the gap for Democrats that Trump won the district by 11. Um, but I thought that that just the the polling I had heard about the history of the district sort of suggested to me that that I thought the Republican was favored. And yet here we are. And I don't think you can look at the Republican as the favorite anymore. I don't know if Democrat Danny O'Connor, the Franklin County recorder, is the favorite. Uh, but the, the race, you know, the race basically feels feels like a toss up here with with a little less than two weeks to go. So what would you say pushed you over the edge when you decided to make that make that call? Uh, a number of things. The fact that uh, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, uh, which is the campaign arm for the House Democrats, uh, I can tell you that outside Democratic groups have been a little skeptical of this district really being in play for them in the past. But the fact that they've decided to put in a little bit of money, the fact that the Republican outside groups have um, already put two plus million dollars into the district and are continuing to put more in, um, which is a sign that certainly the district hasn't been put away. And also, uh, we've started to get some 
kind of limited early voting and absentee voting statistics. And um, while in Ohio we don't have formal party registration, uh, there is sort of a, a, a loose system of party registration or party affiliation, as the Secretary of State's office likes to call it, um, in which basically you're, the, the party you're affiliated with is the is the um, the party whose primary ballot you take at primary season and. Uh, Based on that, you know, so you do have sort of affiliated Democrats and affiliated Republicans in the early and absentee voting. Um, the Democrats have had a really big advantage in that in, in, in those metrics in their early going, um, particularly compared to uh, some recent elections where you usually expect to, there to be more Republicans in this district. And so um, that still has the Republicans still have a chance to catch up on that metric. That's not, um, you know. Uh, it's not it's not like most votes have been cast or anything. I mean, it's still sort of a small number of votes, but um, you sort of put all those factors together uh, and uh, in and you also look at the national atmosphere. And uh, that's why I think it's it's a it's kind of a toss up race here. Some quick background for listeners. The uh, district includes northern suburban Franklin County, Delaware County, Licking County, Morrow County, and southeast Marion County and south Richland County. Uh, basically, you can kind of call it a suburban Columbus district. Uh, you know, more or less, I think. Uh, you know, Kyle, you and I talked about some of the demographics of this district a couple months ago, especially after the Connor Lamb election. You know, I think everybody, uh, that, that, that kind of sent a, sent a shockwave, uh, you know, at least through the Republicans who maybe kind of realized like, oh, hey, some of these places might be vulnerable. Uh, just a couple of numbers. Uh, men in the district, 49.42%. Women, 508 um, It is 87.15% white. The median income is 67415 while the national average is 59039 um, So obviously a little, you know, uh, significantly more affluent, I would say. Uh, the median age is 38.9. It's actually a younger district than I anticipated. Um, and high school degree, 93% of people have a high school degree. And bachelor's degree, 41% of people have a bachelor's degree. Um, you know, not the best numbers, but for Ohio, that's actually a, a pretty high number. Um, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty high nationally too. I mean, the national average for uh, four-year college attainment, I think, is just a shade under thirty percent. So, hmm. um, you know, forty-one percent is 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 definitely well above the national average. Um, one interesting number that I found when I was kind of looking at some of the census data, I went back through it again, um, you know, earlier today. The number of people with public health insurance coverage is two hundred and twenty-four thousand nine hundred and thirteen. Do you think that, I mean, that seems like a pretty significant number. Do you think that that is uh, going to play a factor here, especially with all the debate around, uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act and what the future of health care in the country is? Uh, polling has routinely shown that, that health care is sort of the number one issue that people mention. I mean, people care about all sorts of things when they vote and different people care about different things. But um, what has happened in this health care debate is that after years of of, uh, you know, sort of getting this advantage by bashing, you know, Obamacare, or the Affordable Care Act, uh, Republicans now find themselves on the wrong side of public opinion on health care because they control the federal government now. Um, they uh, attempted to make which were some some pretty unpopular changes to the Affordable Care Act that didn't work. So not only did they not change the policy that they wanted to change, but they also ended up kind of taking ownership in the public eye of health care. Uh, and, you know, this is this is sort of a, a broader thing that happens in American political life. And that is that um, the public tends to get more conservative when there's a Democratic president and get more liberal when there's a Republican president. It's a it's a longstanding trend in American public opinion that goes back several decades. And we see this on the health care question. You know, the, the Affordable Care Act 
basically became more popular once Donald Trump got elected. Uh, and you, you see that on, on other issues, too, in terms of the public expressing more liberal opinions. And it gets at the kind of um, reactionary nature of the American public, which is basically they just uh, uh, they tend they tend not to like what they what they have and want what they don't have. And, and th you know, in this case, it's more, maybe more Democratic leaning ideas in a time of of unpopular uh, unified Republican governance. And of course, Ohio itself has, has uh, Republican governance uh, too in, in a uniform way at the statewide level. And that's true nationally as well. And and so, um, you know, I think that, that if, if O'Connor wins, it will be in large part because of an, a, a backlash to Trump, but it's also a backlash to uh, Republican issue positions. I think, you know, again, even in a district that is not one on paper that you would think could elect a Democrat, uh, and yet, uh, you know, very well might in a couple of weeks here. So one of the things that seemed to be a pretty determining factor in the Pennsylvania race was that Connor Lamb was kind of like the central casting good candidate, veteran, former prosecutor guy with a young family. And the Republican in that race, whose name I can't pronounce because I don't actually say it. Rick, Rick Saccone. Uh, right. He, he was kind of goofy. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, whether it was historical revisionism or something that they actually did, Republicans kind of grumbled about him. So what do you think about the candidates in Ohio 12? Uh, I think that they both have uh, been pretty decent, frankly. I think they both have raised a credible amount of money. Um, there's been some grumbling about Balderson that maybe O'Connor got on the airwaves uh, quicker and more aggressively than Balderson did. And um, But, you know, I don't—I think that, that, you know, even Rick Saccone in Pennsylvania 18 was not like a disastrously bad candidate. He was a bad fundraiser. Uh, particularly compared to Connor Lamb, that that that, that disparity has not really been present in uh, in this race. Uh, but you know, if you're a Republican candidate and you lose a district like this, um, you know there there are going to be questions because again, it's a district on paper that that, that a Republican probably should win. But um, it, it, you know, compared to Pennsylvania 18, uh, and Seth, we've we've talked about this in the past. Uh, on one hand, Pennsylvania 18 is more Republican in the sense that Trump won it by about 20 points. Um, whereas Trump won this district by 11. But on the other hand, uh, there's sort of an ancestral Democratic uh, trend in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, Democrats actually had a, a voter registration advantage in uh, in Pennsylvania 18. And, um, you know, Pennsylvania does have that formal voter registration, whereas I don't know what the specific numbers in Ohio 12 are, but definitely um, there are more Republican primary voters anyway in, in Ohio 12 than there are uh, Democratic ones. That's why the uh, the early voting statistics showing um, an edge for a significant edge for you know Democratic affiliators is 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 so noteworthy. But again, there's uh, time for that um, uh, to to change. Uh, let me make one other point about this district. You know, I mentioned that it it's you know historically pretty Republican. Um, a version of this district um, featured two kind of strange election results in, in the early 1980s. So the 1980 uh, election. Uh, the Republicans, of course, you know, Ronald Reagan won the White House. The Republicans won the U.S. Senate, and they picked up a lot of U.S. House seats. But uh, amidst all that, Bob Shemansky, a Democrat, um, defeated kind of a weak Republican incumbent in this seat and was one of the, the only Democratic bright spots that year. Uh, and then two years later, uh, after redistricting helped him a little bit, uh, John Kasich, who was then a state legislator, uh, beat Bob Shemansky in 1982, which was otherwise a great Democratic year, uh, both in Ohio and uh, nationally. And 
Um, then John Kasich and then Congressman Pat Tiberi, whose resignation caused this opening, uh, have represented this district ever since. So, so ever since 1982. Um, so, you know, again, this is in the district has changed some. It was kind of more of a Franklin County based district. Um, you know, in, in past redistricting cycles, it's sort of gotten bigger and expanded over more counties in central Ohio. But uh, its voting character, I think, has been pretty, pretty familiar and similar over the years in that it's a um, you know, kind of a kind of a, a, a Republican district that uh, likes mainstream Republicans like Pat Tiberi and John Kasich. And I'd say Troy Balderson is sort of in that um, same sort of school of candidates, but uh, uh, he's he's running in, in what is a very challenging environment. That's a deep cut. That's why we uh, like talking to you. <laughs> well, I think the history here is, is, is useful um, because, you know, these district lines change, but um, you know, the, the, the territory itself and, and you know, it's that that is, uh, um, you know, is, is constant just in terms of these these counties being uh, pretty conservative Republican uh, over the years. But uh, let me make one other comparison to Pennsylvania 18. So when Connor Lamb won that seat back in March in the special election, he was powered by. Um, he, he, he won the district basically in the parts of the district that were closest to Pittsburgh. And there was uh, a part of Pennsylvania 18 is in Allegheny County, which is, which is Pittsburgh. And uh, so in those sort of affluent, well-educated suburbs, Lamb sort of ran up the score and that made up for, um, you know, not doing as well in the, in the more rural parts of the district. It is possible that Danny O'Connor could win this district just by winning the Franklin County part of it in a landslide and essentially losing everywhere else. Uh, and so that would be a commonality if, in fact, O'Connor wins, that this would be sort of a um, he would be powered by the parts of the district closest to the central city in question, in, in this case, Columbus, in Connor Lamb's case, Pittsburgh. You know, the last time you and I talked about this district, um, you know, we compared it with a couple other districts as well, you know, uh, uh, 16th up here near Cleveland and a few others that kind of resemble it. And I'm curious, you know, you mentioned the kind of Kasich connection and what do, what does that district tell us about Ohio? Does it hold a significance for Ohio in November or is this kind of an isolated district that it's its, it's, its own thing, you know? Um, I would say that there have been there have been some public polls of Ohio 12, although they're they're a few weeks old, and I think probably the the, the you know high single digit leads for Troy Balderson that they showed are probably no longer operative. Um, but uh, one thing that those polls did did sometimes show is that even though Balderson was leading in them, um, John K. I'm sorry, uh, 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 Rich Cordray, the Democratic gubernatorial nominee, and also uh, uh, Senator Sherrod Brown had pretty decent numbers for Democrats in this district. And I, I'll tell you that if, if uh, you know, if Cordray and Brown, um, obviously if they win this district in November, they're both going to get elected uh, statewide. If they, you know, only lose it by, you know, five, six, seven points, that probably also suggests uh, that, uh, that that they would, they would they would be winning statewide. Um, so, so I do think that, that those results from, from previous polls were telling, and again, those were polls that also showed, showed Balderson, uh, leading, uh, this district is more affluent and more well-educated than the state as a whole, but, um, it's also a place where given the demographics, you might've actually expected Clinton to have done better. Uh, like one of the, one of the things we were watching before the 2016 election was, uh, Delaware County. I mean, we knew that, that. Trump was going to outperform usual Republican performance in 
kind of white working class democratic places. So like Youngstown and Warren, for instance, uh, in Northeast Ohio. Um, but I think some of us also thought that Clinton would run significantly better than Democrats had in the past in a place like Delaware County, again, which is, um, you know, the most college, the highest college education percentage uh, of any county in the state, most affluent, fastest growing, et cetera. Well, what happened in the 2016 presidential election was that Trump did um, significantly run ahead of typical Republican performance in uh, Mahoning and Trumbull counties, that's Youngstown and Warren, and a lot of other places in eastern Ohio. And uh, Clinton did do better than Democrats typically do in, um, in Delaware County, but only, a, only kind of a little bit better. Um, and, you know, so, so that was sort of an oddity of the election in that the kind of white working class places swung heavily to Trump, Trump but some of the white college educated places uh, didn't swing as heavily in Ohio as maybe they did in some other states, particularly if you look at some places in the, in the Sun Belt, suburban Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, Orange County, California, et cetera. Um, but what if, what if this is sort of a um, delayed release uh, thing that's going on here and that there were some uh, typically Republican voters in Delaware County who gritted their teeth and voted for Donald Trump because he was Republican. And now maybe they don't like his presidency and they want to check and balance on the president and therefore they're going to vote for Danny O'Connor. In that case, O'Connor could make up a significant amount of ground. And also it might be suggestive of, you know, if O'Connor wins of, uh, you know, we're, we're only about a hundred days to the uh, to the, the midterm. It might be suggestive of of Democrats performing well in in November as well, uh, particularly because all of there, there aren't um, um, there aren't any incumbents running for their current positions in in the big statewide races other than other than Sherrod Brown, who's who's favored in his race. But uh, I, you know, if I were a Republican, I'd be pretty concerned if O'Connor loses and in, or O'Connor wins. And in fact, if Balderson only wins by two, three, four points, I think that's not that great of a performance either. I mean, I think that uh, I'm sort of setting the over-under at about five points in terms of what's a good Republican performance. And in other words, because of the character of this district, I think it's possible for the Democrats to get a kind of a moral victory if O'Connor just keeps it close. Uh, I don't think it's possible for Republicans to get a moral victory. I think it's sort of, or I think it's, you know, it's it's obviously winning, but also winning by not just more than a point or two. One question we've heard over and over again is what the Kasich voter is going to do this time, or the quote unquote Kasich voter, if you know such a voter exists, what they're going to do. Is this an indicator for what you know the Kasich voter is going to do? It's you know Kasich's old district. It's kind of that suburban affluent uh, kind of area. So I guess more nationally speaking, even does this kind of tell us where? Uh, maybe some of the, you know, Republican diaspora might be peeling off to. Yeah, I think I think that is a factor here. I mean, I, I believe that Delaware County was actually uh, John Kasich's best county in the whole state in the Republican primary season, and Ohio 12 very well may have been his best congressional district, but I don't know that I don't know that for a fact. So if if, uh, if I'm wrong about that, I apologize. But um, you know, we, we've seen actually Danny O'Connor, uh, you know, specifically say that he sort of um, or specifically try to appeal to, uh, you know, John Kasich supporters. And we also know that the governor's approval rating in the state, while still good, is kind of odd right now in that most pollsters seem to believe that that 
Kasich's approval is better now with Democrats than it is with Republicans, although he still retains a significant amount of Republican support. And, you know, those would seem to be some of the swing voters, um, at least in this district now statewide. I think what you're probably going to see is somebody like Sherrod Brown picking up um, a significant number of Trump voters who usually otherwise vote Democratic uh, in the eastern part of the state. But, you know, imagine this. What if he gets, you know, somebody like Sherrod Brown and other members of the Democratic ticket? What if they get both typically Republican um, uh, suburban voters to come, you know, to vote for someone like Sherrod Brown for the first time and also to restore uh, some of the old Democratic strength in eastern Ohio, that's where you start to see Sherrod Brown winning qu- comfortably and also the Democrats having a chance to pick up um, several of the statewide offices and also make some gains in the state house. Uh, so that's the that would be the magic formula for Democrats. And this district, I think, will tell you kind of more about the the kind of the the sort of suburban um, Kasich supporter, Trump skeptic. But then we'll have to sort of wait till November to get a read on um, what the kind of Obama to Trump Democrats in eastern Ohio are thinking. So we've kind of gotten accustomed to these special congressional elections kind of being like a national battleground. And uh, as we've kind of been building up to it in Ohio, we can see that there's kind of the puzzle pieces there where it's summer and there's not necessarily a lot going on in Congress. There's the fact that it's John Kasich's old district. There's like a narrative element there. So we kind of thought that the, we might get some of that same national spotlight here, but it doesn't seem like that's really been the case. So why do you think that is, Kyle? Um, it may be that th- this is not necessarily the only game in town. I mean, it's it's the only um, uh, you know House special election that's on uh, August seventh. Although, the, and then there are some uh, regular primaries uh, that day, and also the you know the national campaign is sort of in full swing. Uh, you've got, you know, lots of hot house races across the country and governor's races and Senate races. And so there's just like more going on, uh, even though this is the only this is the only you know special election in the House uh, remaining until we uh, get to November. And I also do think it has gotten some national attention um, from, uh, you know, national reporters uh, coming in. Um, I'd say one other thing that it doesn't seem to have attracted the same high level of outside spending uh, that some of these other congressional specials have, although that's not to say that there hasn't been that spending, because I would mentioned earlier that uh, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee has put in roughly about a quarter million dollars as, as we record this. Um, some of the outside Republican groups have put in, uh, you know, more than two million dollars. And, you know, th- that's that's a lot of money, although it's not it's not like Pennsylvania 18 was or the or the Georgia six special was uh, last summer, which is the uh, you know, set the record for the most expensive congressional race ever. Um, but, you know, it may just be because the um, we're now closer to the, quote, real election. Uh, and so therefore, there's more sort of elections related stuff to cover than there would have been back in March or even last summer. Are you surprised that uh there hasn't been as much attention paid by even like the presidents and presidential surrogates considering his sort of fixation with Ohio. Um, I haven't seen two, you know, Boston Mayor Marty Walsh was down there campaigning for Danny O'Connor, but that's not exactly the biggest name in the world. I'm not saying it's anything to sneeze at, but, you know, it's a Northeastern mayor compared with, uh, you know, the president who has shown a keen interest in a lot of other races here. Well, the president did tweet the other day about about supporting Balderson. Um, 
you know, I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this, what the Balderson campaign would think about the president making a visit. Um, as, as you mentioned, the president certainly has not been shy about coming to Ohio, and I think the president recognizes that um, Ohio is a crucial part of his uh, potential reelection bid in uh, in 2020. I mean, I can tell you, if he loses Ohio, he's not going to win the election. There's just no, you know, there'd be um, there's no precedent for a Republican president getting elected and not not carrying the state. And certainly, if he uh, if he were to you know fall off in a state that he won by eight points, it would be suggestive of uh, significant erosion uh, th- across the Midwest and, and and across the country, really. Um, so I, I would have to imagine that he and his team are interested in this race, but I also don't know, um, given the kind of complicated um, demographics of the district and that it's a district that the Trump won by this district that the president won by double digits, um, but also is one that demographically is sort of uh, you, you would think probably wouldn't be all that excited about the president. Um, you wonder you, you wonder if, if a Trump visit would be more hurtful than than helpful. Uh, but who knows? Maybe something like that will happen uh, before before uh, uh, before before the end here. I mean, one other way of looking at this district is that so uh, Barack Obama won the state of Ohio by about three percentage points in 2012. Trump won the state by eight. So that's an 11 point swing in margin from Obama 2012 to Trump 2016. Um, at the, so so, you know, most of the state swung pretty heavily from Obama to Trump. And yet this district uh, didn't vote all that much differently between the, uh, uh, the 2012 and 2016 uh, presidential elections. And so relative to the state, the district actually became significantly more Democratic because uh, it didn't exhibit the same kind of swing and margin that the rest of the state did. And I think that's sort of suggestive of uh, the kind of problems that Trump has in this district, even though, again, at, at the top line, you'd say, oh, well, he won it by 11 points. Uh, that has to be a district that likes him. Not necessarily. My, my guess is that there were, um, you know, the, the, the kind of the key voter in 2016 in, in Ohio and elsewhere were voters that did not have a favorable view of either Clinton or Trump. Uh, my guess is that there were a lot of those kinds of voters in Ohio 12 and that um, they, like so many of their compatriots, ended up voting for Trump, but not really liking liking the option of voting for Trump. Uh, and you know they can't vote against Trump now, but they can, um, you know, not vote for a Republican or or actively vote for a Democrat. And so that may be maybe part of the dynamic. Well, I know we've got to wrap up here soon, but I wanted to ask before you go: Is there any storyline or thing that you're looking for in this race that uh, maybe people are ignoring right now? Um. I don't. I don't think so. I feel like the, the race has been um, has been been pretty well uh, covered, both obviously by, by by state sources and then by also by also by some uh, some national uh, some national folks. Uh, I am curious about one thing, and this is sort of unknowable, obviously before election day. But uh, some of these nationally watched special elections, and I mentioned uh, Georgia six, Pennsylvania eighteen. Uh, the Montana at-large special election that also happened last year. Um, those races all had excellent turnout. I mean, they all had kind of uh, uh, midterm level turnout in a special election, which really is quite good. You would expect the special election turnout to be less than what you, you know, than, than, than what, a, what a midterm would usually produce. And I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm curious to know what the turnout's going to be in this district whether it matches a midterm level or if it is lower than, than a midterm level, 
you know, it is different in that it's a race that's taking place uh, really in the middle of summertime when legitimately a lot of people may be, you know, on vacation, kids are out of school, um, uh, you know, et, et cetera. Uh, you know, is this going to be a lower turnout race? And could that actually benefit uh, Danny O'Connor because of the, you know, democratic enthusiasm uh, advantage that we've seen that I think is, is becoming clear in this district and also has become um, pretty clear in special elections across the country. And, you know, it also, you know, we're, we're going to run this same race back in November, uh, you know, Balderson versus O'Connor. Uh, and, uh, you know, if the, if the turnout is really low and O'Connor wins, maybe that suggests that it was just a fluke and that Balderson can come back and win in November. Uh, but if the turnout is more like a traditional midterm turnout and O'Connor still wins in that scenario, then you might feel better about his chances of actually holding the seat uh, come November. So, um, you know, the turnout is, you know, obviously who shows up in an election is is uh, is, is quite important, uh, but also how much it resembles a midterm electorate uh, might help us better assess what could happen, you know, in, in the rematch, which is coming in November, no matter what happens on August 7th. All right. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us and uh, talking about that. I'm sure we'll have you on again to get more expertise once the rest of the elections get closer. Sounds good. Thanks, guys.